every day of the year, our church calls upon us to look to one or two or four or 12 or even sometimes thousands of saints to remember them and to honor them. On some days we remember special feasts, obviously the great feast of our Lord, but other feasts that take place or events that shape history and in and, and many ways shape eternity for us. There is some measure of, uh, in some quarters, people who would like to see some liturgical changes so that there's a less or a smaller emphasis on the saints in our services. In other words, we hear lots of hymns today about the saints that we remember, and I'm going to talk about in just a second. And some would say, well, we put too much emphasis on the saints. Some would say we need to just downplay that a little bit and have more things directed specifically toward the Lord. And what I would offer as a rebuttal to that in my simple-minded way is that, in fact, honoring the saints is even itself honoring God who saves us. Because what happens with the saints is that God in his great mercy and his forgiveness for all of these we see around us here, that he has transformed them. And so what they are for us are living icons, living persons, even now with God in heaven, imaging for us in a concrete way the mercy and the kindness of God. So that every time we remember the saints, we are in fact giving thanks that God provides that for us if we would only but follow him and love him and, and pursue him with godliness and, and piety and determination and love and forgiveness and repentance and all of that. So honoring the saints is honoring God, but it's also honoring those who themselves were willing to suffer are willing to do whatever they did. Many suffered, some didn't suffer. Some were able, by the mercy and kindness of God, to sort of see God very clearly, and their suffering was very minimal. Others were great. Today we remember the 318 holy God-bearing fathers of the First Ecumenical Council. Now, for people who aren't Orthodox, they're like, why is that important? Because it's and I'm going to explain it in a little bit. I hope I'll explain it well for you. It's critical to us both before they came and certainly after they came because what they do is they, they help us to find God. In the church here, we have actually icons of three of those fathers here. We have St. Nicholas, who was at the First Council. We have St. Spiridon, who was at the First Council. We have in here St. Athanasius, who was at the First Council. So the First Council is, is, is represented certainly in our own iconography. And what they do is they come together in this council because there's confusion and argumentation and fear in the church because there were those who were speaking about God in a way that was untrue. And they were confusing people, even as John alludes to in his letters, that there are wolves who will come among us and take us away. 
They may not even necessarily set out consciously to be wolves, but because they embrace something which is different from God, they end up pulling us away from God if we let them. And these 318 fathers come together to help us be assured who God is so that we might realize what we read about in John 17 today. And what do we read? Jesus begins his great high priestly prayers, it's sometimes referred to. This is just before he's about to be taken in his passion. And so he goes and he prays to God this high priestly prayer for all of us. He prays completely as the God-man. He prays as God, the Son, speaking to his Father, who is co-equal with his Father, but he also speaks as the man, the man Jesus, who's loved these men that he's been with. And his prayer is first and foremost for the ones that God has given him to travel with and to minister with, but in the end, in verse 20, he even says, and I don't pray just for them, I pray for all of those who are affected and come to you by their word and their lives, which are all of you. So this high priestly prayer is tiered and it, it encompasses all of us. So he's praying for you here. And you've probably heard me say this a lot of times, but now we can sort of focus on it just a little bit. Jesus spoke these words and he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour is come. It's time for the, for the passion to be completed. Glorify your son that your son may also glorify you. So he speaks of the one who is the unoriginate one, the father. But in fact, he is equal to the father because just as the father glorifies him, he glorifies the father. And this first council, they affirm that. Christ himself is God equal to the Father and the Holy Spirit. As you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. To give eternal life. That Christ himself gives eternal life. Who could do that but God? And then for me, out of this passage, maybe the most important Verse is the one that follows, and that's where we'll end in my comments today. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Brothers and sisters, when we think about eternal life, I think we're prone to, and I do this too, we all do it. We, uh, eternal life, we think about, oh, I may die, but I will re-resurrect it and I'll live forever. We think about this, we, we're just forced by our own lives and by being human beings to think in those created terms of linear time. And we think time will just go on. Thanks be to God, I won't, I won't go away. And so eternal life is this great gift. And certainly it is that, but it's something way more. Because it's not really eternal time, I mean, time that just goes on forever. It's going into a whole new realm. It's going into eternity where everything is now. 
Everything is now in eternity. God sees all of time at once, just like you look out over a field and you see every part of the field at once. God sees all of time at once. And that's the realm that we will go into. So eternal life is, is really much, much more and more hard to explain than just this idea of time that goes on. And Jesus gives us a foretaste of that. And the fathers speak to you and me, and they say that we have a foretaste of the kingdom. And I think we struggle to understand what that is, but Jesus tells us what it is. He says, this is to know you, to know the only true God, not to just to know about him. You know, you can, you can say the creed backwards and forwards probably. You say it without thinking. You can probably do an addition problem while you say the creed. So knowing facts is important, but not knowing facts is what he, uh, knowing facts is not what he's talking about. He's talking about knowing God as a person, as three persons, knowing him like you know your best friend or your wife or your child or your father, whoever it may be, to know them, to have this relationship with them. And knowing them, we begin to experience and trust in the great mercy of God so that we have a foretaste even now, here, even now. All of you have suffered from something, but you, and maybe even suffering now, but knowing God, you know, God will take me through this. I know that. I can experience eternity even now because I know the one who cares for me, and it never stops. That care never stops. That love never stops. That forgiveness never stops. So that when you forget about God and you come back, he's right there. He's like the prodigal son. He says, come back, and he throws a party all over again. Our job is not to go into the foreign land. Just stay there. Love God. To know him. This is what we're called to do. And knowing him, we begin to experience in a foretaste that which we will know in heaven. Brothers and sisters, I think heaven is so much more than we can e anyway try to piece together in our heads. We think of the most beautiful, the most peaceful, the most, the most of the most in everything. That, that's what heaven is. If you like football, you're playing football 24-7. If you like, you know, it's just way beyond all of that. I can't begin to tell you. I know, though, that it begins, as the Lord says to us here, in knowing the one who gives us everything, who loves us, and we're called to do that. These 318 holy fathers made sure that we didn't get confused because what they say to us very clearly is that Christ was the God-man. And to believe something else will take you away from what's true and will take you away from knowing God and experiencing eternal life. Many of them suffered. Many of them were confessors. Paphnutius comes and he only has one eye. There were others who came who had lost limbs because, because they had been mistreated for what they believed. And the great Constantine, who becomes a saint himself, honors them. He bows before them. The emperor bows before them. Lord have mercy. For us, they are a great light. We don't worship them. We give thanks to God for them. And they pray for us. 
St. Nicholas prays for us, St. Spiridon prays for us, St. Athanasius prays for us, and the other, the rest of them as well. By God's mercy and grace, we honor them and we thank God that he gave them to us. And, we, and in his doing that, we know that he calls us to himself to know him. Pray your prayers. Forgive the people around you. Repent of your own sins. Trust the love and the mercy of God the God who is true, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May God be merciful to us and forgive us and lead us into his kingdom.